Let's bow together and we'll pray as we turn our attention to the word of the Lord. Father, even now, Lord, we ask that in spite of a foolish preacher, God, in spite of a messenger who is unworthy and unable, that God, you would speak through the power of your perfect word. Lord, we, we need to hear from you this morning. We long to hear from you. Your words are the only words that have any value. So, Spirit, would you move me out of your way? May my words and my phrases and my thoughts be put to a complete end and yours go forward. Father, just as John the Baptist said, may may I decrease as you increase. Lord, at the same time, we, we need to hear from you. So, by your Spirit, by your power, would you teach us and preach to all of us from your sacred word? You might encourage us, that you might challenge us, that you might motivate us, that you might comfort us, give us strength. We love you, Lord. We know these things are possible, and we trust in you to move and do these things now. We ask all this in the precious name of the only one who can save us, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 14 once again this morning. As you are turning in your Bible there, it's probably getting very easy and familiar to turn there at this point. Let's review where we have been and what has brought us to this point. A lot of these principles that we have been looking at and studying are from Robert J. Morgan's book, The Red Sea Rules. Once you go through that book, it's very difficult to walk through Exodus 14 and not see these powerful principles jump out of the text at you. I actually purchased several of those books there's only a handful of them, but they are out on the a little table, that the, the same table that the prayer wall is on. So if you would like one of those books, it's just first come, first serve. You can make your way by that table on your way out and grab one of those books if you'd like. But what we noticed in the first couple of verses is that God puts the Israelites right where he wants them. He tells them a very specific location, giving them reference points and say, I want, even, I want you to even turn and face this way. We glean from that that God does the same thing in our lives, that the Lord himself has a purpose for everything that occurs. Anything that happens in our life is either allowed by God indirectly or directly caused by God. So God has us where we are on purpose and for a purpose. Next thing we looked at was how concerned God is over his own glory in all of chapter 14 and really throughout all of scripture. There's such a concern in the text for God being glorified, it leads us to ask the same question of our lives. How is God being glorified in my life? How is God being glorified in this situation? And draws us to change our focus. So instead of focusing on how can I be prosperous, how can I be successful, how can I be comfortable, how can things be as convenient for me as possible, how can I get relief from this current situation, Our focus should be on, God, how can you be glorified in my life? The third thing that we saw was how the Israelites, they did get greatly afraid. They did pray, but they immediately focused on the enemy that was pursuing them and just kind of acknowledged that maybe God is there. They had it completely backwards. So our challenge is to do the opposite of what the Israelites do and to 
completely focus on God and only acknowledge that the enemy is there. Because the enemy can do nothing without the Lord's allowance. And so we know there is an enemy. We know that we are at war. But that is not where our focus lies. Our focus lies on God. We also noticed that the Israelites prayed and cried out to the Lord. So we talked about prayer. We talked about what the Bible teaches us about prayer, about spontaneous prayers like what the Israelites did here in Exodus 14. They cried out spontaneously to the Lord. We talked about systematic prayers where we have scheduled time that we set aside to pray to the Lord. We also noticed that the Israelites, after they prayed, remember they rail at Moses. They just lay into Moses and they have no confidence, there's no calm, there's nothing about them that remains secure in the Lord. And so we're reminded that even when life is difficult, to stay calm and be confident that God is at work. Leave room for God to work. Last week we talked about a tension that is created because sometimes we don't just leave room for God to work, we just sit still, right? We just sit on our hands And the scripture does tell us to be still and know that he is God and he'll be glorified and exalted in all the nations. But sometimes it's not that we're being still to know that he's God. Sometimes we are petrified. We are paralyzed by our own fear. And we read in verse 15 of Exodus 14 how the Lord says to Moses, Hey man, why are you crying to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And sometimes we have to stop focusing on everything that's coming in this upcoming year and just live for today. Take the next step by faith. Move and focus on today. There is enough grace given for each day. So we've got to stop using today's grace on tomorrow's problems, right? So this morning I want for us to see some specific things that happen in verses 19 and 20. So we are going to read all of Exodus chapter 14. I am going to ask you to stand for the whole thing here in just a minute. But we're going to focus our attention on verses 19 and 20 and what God has to show us about His very presence being with us this morning. So if you do have your Bibles and you've made your way to Exodus 14, whether that's in a book or whether that's on a tablet or in a phone or you just want to follow along on the screens, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. I will read Exodus 14 verses 1 through 31 for us. Then I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with the phrase thanks be to God. Let's look together now. At the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. 
When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It's not this what we said to you in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand. Over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
When we reach these verses, verses 19 and 20 specifically, there's several things that happen that are detailed things that if you brush through there quickly, you may miss. Now, we've already spoken about these verses a little bit in an earlier sermon along in this series about how it was much like schoolboys in the schoolyard fighting and the Lord stands between them and separates Egypt from Israel in the way that is he is not allowing Egypt to attack the Israelites, but he's also not allowing the Israelites to go and fight the Egyptians or to try and surrender to the Egyptians. So what happens here in verses 19 and 20 of Exodus are absolutely incredible. In verse 19, we see, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. This is an incredible phrase, and the way that the Hebrew of this phrase is structured, it is very similar to what all, a lot of scholars often call a theophany or a Christophany. Those are fancy theological words. You don't ever have to remember them. It just is a time where God himself or Christ himself appears in the Old Testament before he was born of the Virgin Mary. Now, it's not 100% certain, but there are many places where scholars believe and think and suggest it is highly possible that God the Son was present in some sort of personified form. And the way that the angel of God is spoken of here in chapter 14 is very similar to the way that these angels or messengers that visited Abraham are spoken of. You recall in Genesis that Abraham is asking for the Lord not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if righteous people are found there. And there are messengers who come and speak to Abraham, but the way that the Bible speaks of these messengers, it puts them on par in likeness with God himself. In the same way, Jacob spends all night wrestling with God. You remember this, correct? But we attribute that he wrestled with God, and yet when we look at the text, there's the angel of God, the messenger of God was present. And Jacob left knowing he had wrestled with God, and God touches his hip. You remember this all-night struggle, all-night wrestle. These are potential places where God the Son showed up even before he was born of the Virgin Mary. And we have to remember that Christ did not come to exist when he was conceived in Mary's womb. Christ has always been. Christ existed before the beginning. Colossians tells us that all things were made in him and for him and through him and by him. Jesus is there when God the Father says, let there be. He is the light that let there be light. Jesus is not created. He always has been. And so it's possible that throughout the Old Testament, God the Son shows up in these rare, strange occurrences. It's a very unique and mysterious figure that shows up time and time again. You may remember from Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you do not bow down to my statue, I will throw you in the furnace. And their response is, you can throw me in the furnace, whatever you want to do. Our God can save us one way or another. Our God will save us. But the one thing that ain't happening, Nebuchadnezzar, is we ain't bowing down to your statue. So he heats the furnace up even higher, throws them into the furnace. And we read in Daniel chapter 3 that... Nebuchadnezzar looks into that furnace and he goes, whoa, hey, hey guys, hey, what, what, we threw three guys, one, three guys, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we only threw three in the furnace. There's, 
There's four people in that furnace. They're unbound. They're dancing around in the fires. They ain't even hurt. And one of them has the appearance of the Son of God. These are these places where Jesus possibly, maybe, shows up as a personified version of God Himself, even in the Old Testament. So think about, here in Exodus 14, the possibility that the cloud moves from in front of them, behind them, to shield the Egyptians from even being able to see, and yet God Himself stands at their rear guard. God steps down to step in and block the Egyptians, and then, incredibly, He lights the path for the Israelites. This is amazing, isn't it? Because they can see the Israelites going forward all through the night as the wind drives back the waters and the waters become a wall on either side. The Israelites are moving step by step like we talked about last week through those waters on dry ground and God is lighting their path while the cloud on the other side creates darkness. In the same moment, they are left in darkness back here from the Egyptians and the path is lit up for the Israelites, there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night. That's talking about the light, the glory of God lit up the very night. And so for those who had rejected the Lord, He darkened their way. And those who were following the path, the Lord Himself was their light. Folks, this is the way that God illuminates and lights our path And this is what we have to look forward to one day. Look at what we see in other books across the Old Testament. Psalm 89, 15. Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. You see, the Israelites didn't have to imagine or envision God's presence around them. They could see it. It was the actual light lighting up their way. And you know, last night it was interesting. We went trick-or-treating in our neighborhood because we like to try and get to know our neighbors in that way. And as we go along, I've got a flashlight and I'm trying my best to shine it on the ground to light up the path in front of my children and my wife. So I'm bringing up the rear guard and I'm trying to illuminate their path, correct? But what happens when you shine a flashlight from somebody's backside at their legs their shadow is cast in front of them. So it's, it's impossible to actually shine the flashlight from behind them in such a way as they can see the next step immediately in front of them. You have to try, I mean, all night long, you know, you're trying to like reach around this way, hold it up real high while you're walking around, and that doesn't look awkward at all. But you're just trying to illuminate so that they don't trip or fall. It lit up the night. They didn't have any shadows up in front of them. The Lord Himself was their light. And their defense, His presence was around them to light their way. And what we can learn from this is to remember that God's presence is always with us. And we can look forward to His presence physically lighting our way the same way that the Israelites experienced in Exodus 14 when we read Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 24. When you hit verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is 
the Lamb. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. God's very presence will be all the light that we need. There's no need for a sun or a moon because God in His infinite glory is bright enough that He will shine in front of us and we will see everywhere that we are about to walk and we will bow humbly before Him. Folks, there's coming a day where there will no longer be a sun or a moon because our God shines so brightly and He gave us a taste of it to show us, to show the Israelites, to let us look back into the past and see what it's like when God's not only dividing the Red Sea in front of you, but He's lighting your way so you can walk through the night and He's keeping Egypt at bay the entire time. Don't think that it's just the pillar of fire that's lighting the way. Don't be confused now. The passage says that the pillar of cloud moved behind them. Now, the pillar of cloud worked the day shift, and the pillar of fire usually worked the night shift. But the pillar of cloud gave the pillar of fire a night off, and the pillar of cloud went behind as the rear guard and kept the Egyptians from seeing. The only thing left to light the way is the Lord God Himself. And so not only is His care so intimate and intricate that He is parting the Red Sea and drying the ground so it's not even muddy or marshy as they walk, but He's shining the light of His own glory right in front of them to lead them. Hey, I want you to go this way. Here's the path to walk on. And folks, we miss this in our own spiritual walk. God's presence is with us. Maybe it's not that light that is permeating and we don't even need a sun or a moon right now, but God's presence is with us. And it would do us some good to envision God's presence with us, going before us, being behind us, around and about us, from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet, that God's presence is inescapable. There's two things that I want us to glean from what we see by God's presence in Exodus 14. God's presence is a universal reality. God's presence is a universal reality. There is nowhere to go to get away from God's presence. God's presence is a universal reality. There's not a particular place in Scripture where it says, all right, now let's talk about how God's omnipresent. And this is the omnipresent section of Scripture. So you can read here and find out how God is everywhere all in once. But that's true. And it's scattered throughout all of Scripture. Look at with me at Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Listen, there's going to be a lot of Scripture this morning, okay? So if you, if you don't want to just follow along on the screen, buckle your seatbelt and get ready to do some Bible drills, all right? We're going to read some Scripture. Here we go. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. If this doesn't relate to Exodus 14, I don't know what does. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. As the cloud is covering the Egyptians to the rear and they are covered in darkness, God's got the best pair of night vision goggles you've ever imagined. And He's just laughing at them as they're all in confusion and don't know where to go and can't see their own hand in front of their face. The darkness is as light to the Lord. 
His presence is everywhere. You know, like the scientific model of an atom, right? You got the nucleus with like the neutrons and the protons making that, and then you got the electrons going around them all like, whoo, 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 whoo. All right, there's this extra space between the nucleus and all the electrons, right? Do you know what's in that space? God's presence in every atom, in every molecule, in every cell, in every organism, in every corner, in every square inch of the entire universe, in every dimension that could ever possibly potentially exist. God is there. All things were made by Him and through Him and for Him, and in Him all things hold together. You know how I know that His presence is in this blank space in those little atoms? Because they'd fall apart. His very presence is the glue that holds the atoms and the molecules together. There's no scientific principle that God doesn't understand and that His presence is not guiding and keeping the physics of this world that He has created in motion. God's presence is a universal reality. We cannot get away from it. And it's not just from one passage in Psalm 139, but look with me at 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. They build a temple and they exclaim, Solomon, even at its dedication, that if all of heaven can't contain the Lord, there's no chance that this temple I have built can contain the Lord. The Lord is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. Jeremiah chapter 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Folks, there's nowhere we can go, nothing we can do, where we get away from the presence of God. It is a universal reality attested to throughout Scripture. These are just three small passages to pull out and show that. But see, the incredible thing about God's presence is it's not just a universal reality. It's also an individual experience. At the same time that God's presence is a universal reality where He is everywhere, all over the universe, all at the same time, God's presence is also very near at hand. God's presence is an individual experience. Think about the fact that even though God is present everywhere, and this seems like a paradox, in Genesis we're told that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, right? We're told that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. We're told that the Spirit, the presence of God, left King Saul. So even though God is present everywhere, in every atom and every molecule, there is an acute presence of God that we are able to leave out of or come into. So there's, there's a difference in God's omnipresence and He's everywhere and this individual experience that we can have of God's presence. Because Cain and Jonah and Saul lost or left the presence of the Lord. Does that mean that there was somewhere in the universe that God was not? No. Did that mean that they left the experience, the individual experience of God's presence behind them? Yes, they did. But then the opposite of that is also true. Enoch walked with God and then God took him. When you look in Genesis at the way it describes Enoch walking with God, this is another one of those places that could be a theophany where God the Son is walking with Enoch and just talking like friends. And they walked together until the day when Enoch was not. He just 
got taken on into heaven. Jacob said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place when he dedicated the temple at Bethel. God told Israel his presence would go with them and he would give them rest. Deuteronomy 4, 7. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? There is no other idol or statue or false god that could ever compare to the nearness of God. When we call out to God, we talked about it in the book of James. In James chapter 4, when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. It is a given. It is a guarantee. If we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And even in Deuteronomy, they testify there is no other nation, there is no other God that can be called upon, even though He is everywhere and high above us. He is very present with us. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Very present. Folks, you you can feel when God is very present. I I don't know about you guys, but this morning I, I had one of those experiences. As we're singing straight out of Scripture, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, that He sent His one and only Son. All of these things as we're singing these words straight out of Scripture. Man, it was just a rush of the Spirit over me. And I, I, didn't, I didn't stand up and speak in tongues. I didn't run around and grab a flag and wave it. I didn't say, Woo! But man, the Spirit was moving on my heart. I had chill bumps without chill bumps. And I thought, Oh, Spirit, don't leave. Don't go. Stay. Stay. What can we do? Man, you saved us. You're here with us. Very present. Very present. Present, not just existing in between the atoms and the molecules, very present. You know, sometimes we forget that God can and will be very present, that His presence can be with us in that strong, felt way. Listen, I don't know about this, but when when you pray, sometimes I am guilty of just praying in my head, of just praying in my heart and, and, and hoping that the Lord will be present. But we have to realize sometimes God's already present. You can do this right here. You can go and sit down in a chair. You can grab your chair and prop up your position where you're going to be. And then you turn this chair because guess what? God is already there to pray with you. So you sit down and you're not imagining that there's somebody in this chair. God is here. He is in this chair. He is very present And you can speak to Him out loud as though talking to a friend because He's a very present help in time of need. Our God is not far and distant away. When we call on Him, He will come. And I would encourage you, don't let all of our prayers just be in our heads or just be in our hearts, but recognize that in every season of life, God is right there with us. That you can set up a chair and look at Him and you're not going crazy and you're not just imagining things. You are recognizing a reality that exists. That God is there with you. He is our very present help in time of need. So I asked Jake to help me out with an illustration this morning because I've learned that if I ask too many of y'all to volunteer, people stop sitting in the front row and and people stop coming. So Jake is going to be our brave person and he's actually contractually obligated to help me. So... He can't say no. This is how our relationship with the Lord goes. God walks beside us. Hey, man, how's it going? I know that was a rough meeting. I'm sorry that that was a rough meeting. Hey, I just heard how you taught Sunday school. Dude, that was awesome. I was there with you. I was helping teach. Did you see how that student sitting in the front row was getting it? 
That's because I was speaking through you, man. Way to go, buddy. That was awesome. God's right there beside us. In every moment, when Jake is teaching, while I'm preaching, he's right here in our corner. That's it, man. I got you. That's right. When you're performing surgery, when you're doing dental work, when you're in your big meeting, when you're teaching your kids, God is standing there with you. He's also, at the same time, in front of you. Hey, man, this is the path to go. Come this way, Jake. Jake, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Go this way, man. This is the way to go. And at the same time that he's in front of you leading you and walking beside you and encouraging you, he's at your rear guard. Don't worry, man. I got your back. Ain't nobody. I got, I got you six. I got you six. Hey, up, up, up. Hey, no, we're good. God is everywhere with us in every moment. He's watching our back. He's leading us in front. He's standing beside us. Every time you have a huge accomplishment, every time you do something amazing, God is your dad. The best dad that's ever been right there with you. He's the one on first base going, come on, run through. You did it. Way to go. He's the one on third base going, go on home. It's an in the park homer. You got it. He's the one that says, man, that was the right answer. Awesome job on that test. He's the one that stands with you in the hospital and says, look at this. I made this. It's a little bit of you and a little bit of her. And I put it together so that you guys could experience the kind of love that I have for you. Now you can be a dad. And now she can be a mom. And y'all can be parents the way that I'm your parent. I'm so proud of you guys. I'm excited for you guys. And then when you stand next to that casket, he's not up there in the clouds. He's standing right here. He says, man, I'm, I'm very present. I know this is hard. I know this is going to be a long road. But I'm with you. His arm is around you. He's not standing over here going, man, that hate it for you. That's awful. He's not making long distance phone calls. Your ministers are going to fail. We're flawed. We're not going to be there every time. But God never fails. Hey, buddy, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. When that terrible car crash happens, when that tragedy occurs, God is always at our side to cheer us on, to pick us up when we're down. And sometimes we forget to envision God's very presence with us. Thanks, Jake. God's not some lofty idea. His presence is a, a universal reality. But it's also an individual experience. And, and I know that to be true because of what we read in the New Testament. Look with me at Hebrews 13.5. Familiar verse, maybe. The end of Hebrews 13.5, he says, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. God is saying to you this morning, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care how good it gets. I'm not going anywhere is what God says to us in His Word. And if you don't believe that, look again. Matthew 28. From the very lips of Jesus, as He gives us this command, He tells us, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold. And look here, and pay attention. Don't get caught up in the fact that it says, Behold, that's all that means. Hey, don't miss this part too. I am with you. Sometimes? No. Always. Always. 
even unto the end of the age. I am with you always. Jesus gives us a mission and then says, I'm going to be there every step of the way to complete the mission with you. Listen, when we envision God's presence, it inspires us to live for Him. It reminds us of the reality that God is real. It comforts us. It strengthens us. But you know, it, it can even help us to avoid sinful tendencies and sinful habits in our lives. How many people in this room would be bold enough to say by raising your hand that when I'm around my parents or my grandparents, I change how I'm acting just a little bit because I don't want to be disrespectful to my parents or my grandparents. That's me all day long. There's jokes I'm not going to tell around mama or daddy or around mall because buddy mall can't handle it. I ain't going to joke around her like that. She doesn't like fake jokes where you pretend to be hurt or something. I'm just not going to do that. So when I'm in mall's presence, I, I, I change how I act. I straighten up a little bit. I'm, I'm in mall's presence. I got to, ooh, this is a godly woman. I got to behave. You know, some people act different around their pastor. I, I know that's none of y'all. No, none of y'all ever treat the pastor different or try to put your best foot forward in front of the pastor. But, you know, I heard a, I heard a story of a guy that that was, his, that was his struggle. He had recently become a Christian, and he had a foul, foul mouth. So he's reading God's Word. He's sharing the Gospel. But every now and again, this, this bad language, this noxious word just pop up in his mouth. And, and he was trying so hard. He went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, you led me to Christ. And I'm trying to serve and follow Christ, but I can't get these words to stop coming out of my mouth. And the pastor said, well, what kind of words are you talking about, brother? He said, oh, <laughs> pastor, I can't say that kind of stuff in front of you. You're you my pastor. You, you're the one who led me to Jesus. I, I can't say that kind of stuff around you. No, man, it's just me and you. Let her fly. No, seriously, pastor, I, I, I can't say that. Oh, come on, brother. Just let me hear the worst words you got. What keeps popping out of your mouth? No, pastor, I will not do it. He said, well, if you can't say it in front of me, how come you can say it so easily in front of God? And that man just had one of those mind-shattering moments. Folks, there's no sin that you or I commit that God's not right there. He's right there with you beside the casket. He's right there with you at the birth of your children and your grandchildren. He's also right there with you when your pride gets in the way. He's also right there with you when your lust is overtaking you. He's also right there with you when slander and gossip are overshadowing all the words that you say. He's right there with you when our mouths are foul or when we get drunk or when... We fall or fail in whatever way we may fall or fail or whatever sin we may be struggling with. The very presence of God is there watching us. And He's not there condemning us. Romans 8 says there's therefore now no condemnation, but He sees. My grandmother wouldn't condemn me if I said something inappropriate around her. She'd make a face. She'd be disappointed. I'd see it written all over her face and my whole heart and countenance would drop. But she's not going to throw a stone at me. God's not there in that moment to throw a stone at you, but your father, my father, he sees it. He knows. He celebrates our whims with us. He mourns with us. He weeps with us. He's also disappointed every time we sin. Nobody's ever going to be perfect but if you need motivation to follow along in the Christian walk, remember that your father's watching. Would I say this in front of my dad? Would I say this in front of the Lord Jesus if he were standing right here? Do you know what? He is. Let that flavor how we treat one another. But the last thing I want us to talk about this morning is there, there's a commission. It says go. 
It says make disciples. It says baptize. It says teaching. God's there to help us with that. God's also there when we don't do that. There's a spiritual reality that exists. God is present everywhere all at once. But Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And there are those who can pass away from this life and not trust in Jesus. And they will go out from the presence of the Lord. The way that we have comfort and reassurance when a true saint passes away. A believer in the Lord Jesus. And we know that they are immediately in the very presence of God, right? Face to face with the Father. We have the same assurance that somebody who doesn't trust in the Lord as Savior and Lord, when they die, we have assurance that they go out from the presence of the Lord. And that is an eternal destination. It is possible to go out from the goodness of God, from the presence of God, by rejecting His Son. There is a command. His presence is with us, watching over us. His presence will be with us to help us share this gospel and go on this mission. But if we don't go on this mission, there are people who will pass from this life who will exit the presence of the Lord and suffer an eternal punishment that's called hell. Because being out of the presence of the Lord, there's no other word for it but hell. So folks, this morning, how are you living out the mission? How am I living out the mission? We're singing it loud and proud in this sanctuary. For God so loved the world. But are you saying it out there, outside these walls? Are you teaching it? Are you preaching it? Are you even at the very least inviting people to, to come hear it from a preacher? Maybe you're here this morning and, and this is the first time you realize that when we die, we either go to be in the very presence of God or we are cast from His very presence to a place called hell. If that's you this morning, you don't have to be cast from His presence. You can choose today to make Jesus your Lord, your boss, give Him control of your life, and your Savior. If you've never done that, let today be the day that you do that. If you've been living your life ignoring that the presence of God is with you, I encourage you to envision God's presence around and about you, in front of you, behind you, beside you, with you, within you, the Lord Himself around you. And let it inspire us as a church, to live for Him and live on mission. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that You are a very present help in times of need. Thank You, Lord, that Your, your presence is a universal reality and it's an individual experience. Thank You that You give us the joy of, of experiencing a focused portion of Your presence. Even on these Sunday mornings, God. Genuinely, this morning, Father, the way Your Spirit moved in this place and moved upon me, God, I'm so humbled. Thank You for being very present. God, if there's anybody here listening to the sound of my voice that will not leave this life and be very present with You, but will be cast from your presence. Would you move on their hearts here 
draw them unto yourself that they might respond in obedience. Lord, that they would come forward and say, I need to trust in Jesus. Father, maybe there's many of us, maybe there's a lot of other folks like me in here who haven't been remembering and reminding ourselves that your presence is very near and that we need to refocus our lives. God, would you help us? Would you cause us to make the necessary changes? Lord, we love you and we need you. And God, we give this invitation time, this time of response over to you, that your spirit may move, that we might respond in obedience, whatever that looks like. Father, we ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, would you please stand? Would you join in singing our song of invitation? Would you respond to the Holy Spirit as he moves among us?